You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot! Oh, Live on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to the first Fresh Air Sports Hub show of the year. I'm Peter Johnson. I'm the new voice this year. We had Will Redpath last year. I've filled his shoes for this year. I'm joined this evening by Alfie Steiner. We're going to be reviewing this weekend's Premier League action. And what a weekend it was. Perhaps the greatest weekend of Premier League action we've ever seen. So we'll be digging into that very soon. And I'll be joined by Adi Namana later. We'll be discussing um, like having a mid-season review of the Formula One. So thanks for joining me, Alfie. Um, no worries at all, my pleasure. Not a, uh, not a bad week for us to kick off with the uh, Sports Hub show for this year. I'd well, say perhaps the most ridiculous week I've ever seen. Apart from if you've got my fantasy football team, and I'd say it's not been a good week, which I'm sure a lot of fantasy football managers will share my, my sorrows. But yeah, what, a, what an unbelievable, just quite simply shocking weekend of football, really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I didn't think, didn't think it could get any more ridiculous after that Spurs match. And then obviously... Uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Well, I suppose as a Manchester United fan yourself, you're probably it makes it less bad in a way, maybe. Well, slightly. I just watched the United Spurs game and then I just kind of gave up all hope and decided not to bother with Liverpool game. Mm. So I missed the first half. I was like, "What well, am not watching this for? It's incredible." Well, literally, it was just as as uh, Gary Neville was sort of commentating, and obviously we were anticipating his sort of classic post-game monologue of why what's wrong with Manchester United. He was sort of saying, "Oh, I can't bring myself to face Carragher later on," and then you just literally, <laughs> if not more, of Carragher just absolutely bewildered at what's just happened. I mean, I couldn't believe my eyes. I wasn't even watching. I was sort of tapping in, like dabbling in and out, and then I sort of saw what was going on. I was like. There must be something categorically wrong with what's going on right now. I think it was just one of them historic matches you just kind of had to watch, really. Honestly, you know, if we get into the into the game, it's like, you know, obviously prior to kickoff, they don't have Allison, they don't have Henderson, Thiago or Mane, which, you know, four pretty big players, but you still think they're not going to capitulate. And I think, you know, I've just watched the highlights back and Adrian, I mean, terrible. I mean, I've never seen him so bad, but... Some of the defending is just, I, it must have been, it was a freak of nature sort of result and game. But, you know, I just still don't quite understand how something like that can happen. I mean, it was, well, three of the three of the seven goals were uh, like quite ridiculous deflections you can't really account for. Uh, but, I mean, Villa kind of made their own look, didn't they? Like, um, yeah. What do you I mean, think? Do you think Liverpool are just kind of, I think since it was it the Arsenal game last season, I think you played them. And that was kind of turning point. After the after yeah, I kind of I was kind of after they won the league, they wrapped it up, and since then they've not maybe had the the cutting well, they had last season. A lot of the Arsenal faithful on Twitter, but obviously sort of uh, taking the proverbial and saying, "Well, this is the effect of uh, facing Arsenal twice in a week and having Emmy Martinez in goal." Um, obviously, that's a joke, but you know, I think Liverpool obviously how difficult it is to sort of follow up their their near perfection and sort of relentless um, sort of, you know, procession to the title. And it's like, well, how do you keep up with that after COVID as well? And, you know, they sort of had a few shaky performances. Um, They started the season pretty, you know, brilliantly. Like people sort of writing them off a bit or sort of saying, well, Manchester City are going to be the team this year. And then they sort of sweep Arsenal aside, Chelsea aside, um, you know, strengthened by Thiago. And... 
you know, there have been signs of frailty and stuff, but the way they capitulated yesterday, I mean, I can't help but think it's got to have something to do with the, the wider context of, you know, all these crazy games that are going on and the lack of pre-season and um, just, you know, lack of defensive structure and stuff like that. Because I just, I, I couldn't believe my eyes, really. <laughs> all right, well, we've just got, Addy's just joined us. Uh, technical difficulties meant he didn't quite join from the start, but hi, Addy, we'll... Uh... We'll Sorry, move to yeah. you slightly later on to talk about the Formula One. Uh, quite a lot to talk about there as well. We're just dissecting quite a ridiculous weekend of football before we get there first. Um, so, what do you think about the Liverpool game then, uh, Alfie? Did you, was it a one-off kind of? I mean, as you say, like they've not been that convincing recently, but a, re- a result of that magnitude surely got to be a one-off, hasn't it? Like you wouldn't expect that to kind of find the rest of their season. Of course, that's you know that is that will probably never happen again, and no one would have ever predicted that something like that would happen again. I mean, Villa started the season well, don't get me wrong, and like credit where credit's due, they they played well and they sort of went for they were shooting on sight. They knew Adrian was going to be pretty disastrous in goal. They maybe knew that Liverpool could be taking advantage of without some of their key players, but yeah, I just think that's a freak of nature, and I think you know in the in the context, it's part of that context of the the post-COVID sort of lack of pre-season, you know, defensive, you know, Leicester lost 3-0 to West Ham yesterday, not the same, and then United capitulating. I just think it's very easy for, for, for teams to sort of spiral downhill quite quickly, especially without the, you know, there's so many different contexts of view it and, you know, you've got no fans, which obviously we're getting used to, but maybe we're only now seeing the sort of, well, what can happen yeah. with all of these coming together you do um, kind of get yeah, the get the feeling well you've got kind of got to ask the question if you know with all the games we've seen this season that have been so high scoring like the number of games with five six seven eight goals you do wonder how big a role having no fans has to play in that like you do wonder if you'd have thought if fans were there there's no way United could have conceded six all well, 100% and then you think of the pressure of like fans and you know not to say that well if fans are in the stadium then you know United don't sort of get sort of torn apart yesterday. And I think that's another thing we'll get onto. But, you know, you, you, you wouldn't see teams <coughs> fall apart like that, I do not think. I mean, yesterday was a was a freak. Um, even if we've had kind of really bizarre results and chopping and changing the big sides or the, or the guys who we think are going to, you know, it's just unpredictable. And I think, yeah, fans provide that sort of consistency and, and sort of pressure to the players and, you know, as as many managers say, and and Klopp says, like quite um, acutely, is like fans are are crucial, and we know how Liverpool sort of the fans are part of their their identity as a team, um, even if it's not at Anfield. So I think, yeah, I think you know the absence of fans, but also just you know all the deflections. I think lack of lack of players. I mean, let's not let's not look past the sort of disruption of COVID. Like maybe they didn't know that these players were going to be out sort of a couple of weeks ago. Who knows how that's changed the sort of atmosphere around the club and stuff like that. But yeah, as you say, bit of a freak. Not going to happen again, but I'm, I'm sure we're all glad we've witnessed it. <laughs> I mean, we're not, uh, you know, we're not not used to seeing kind of freakish results in the Premier League. Like just even looking in the context of seasons as a whole, like Leicester Rompins decided a few years ago, and it's um, obviously there's there's all the mitigating circumstances why this is already such a weird season with no crowd, for example, and mm. uh, players missing having to isolate even though they're not mm. injured or necessarily even ill because that's the protocol we've got at the moment. 
Um, do we get kind of with, with all these factors in mind? Obviously, it's, it's quite fun to speculate when you look at Everton and Villa off the table and Man United fifth bottom, whatever. But do you kind of get the impression this does have a bit of kind of the, the Leicester season about it? We've had big teams dropping points in emphatic fashion. All of last season's top five City, Liverpool, United, Leicester have all lost heavily in the last week. Chelsea against West Brom nearly capitulated. So, do we maybe, you know, if Everton are going to put to an end, what, three or four decades of barrenness they've had you know, this could well be the time already look I think it's it's definitely as you say that sort of season where for whatever reason the mitigating factors and the, the wider context opens up the league to all these bizarre possibilities and you know I don't I don't think we're going to have a repeat of the Leicester because you know I think Klopp and, and Guardiola and the players that are you know playing for you know Chelsea United um, City Liverpool I think that will show eventually but I do think that you know there will be a we'll look back on this season and we'll say wow this was a strange one and it is a strange one you know football has not had to deal with anything like this we haven't had to deal with anything like this yeah um, just in terms yeah. of you know you look at the penalties as well don't you and the graphics of like yeah. penalties for this season just to do with the new laws and the, uh, the, yeah, the it's, game. it's VAR and then it's the handball penalties and it's, there's just so many things that are sort of coming together in football at the moment without the classic infrastructure you know the fans and the normal sort of routine and I just think all of these things sort of amalgamating amalgamating together is resulting in these sort of the more probable to have these sort of crazy results and and stuff like that but yeah I mean you know, the fact we're even talking, we're talking about Liverpool and we're not, you know, the first thing we're not talking about is United Spurs in itself. Yeah, it's very true. Well, we'll have a, we'll have a quick break now. We'll just have a quick musical interlude um, and then we'll move on to Man United Spurs. And then obviously we've kind of already forgotten about Leeds against City and one all on Saturday. <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about that ridiculous okay. match as well. As a child, you would wait and watch from far away But you always knew that you'd be the one to work while they all play And you'd you lay awake at night and scheme Of all the things that you would change But it was just a dream
so we're back. We just had a brief musical interlude and now we're back. Uh, and obviously, as Alfie said, it's kind of ridiculous we didn't start with this game. Uh, but we're moving on to it now. Manchester United won. Tottenham Hotspur 6. First time in nine years Man United have conceded six goals at home. Um, it's about bad only, memories, probably. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And only about a second time in you know, 14 visits to Old Trafford that Spurs have won. Uh, but, I mean, what a way to do it. Um, it's you know, kind of, given the discontent and the poor form of United's part, I mean, kind of embodied by the panic we've seen on deadline day today, um, and the fact that Spurs had such a good week, it didn't start so well with that last-minute penalty that conceded against Newcastle. But then you had beating Chelsea, uh, scoring seven in the Europa League. Um, you know, when you kind of consider the 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 um, you know the respective moods around the two teams, should the result really be much of a surprise? Not necessarily the extent of the scoreline, but the fact that Spurs played United off the park in the first place. Mm. Well, you know, for me. So I'm an Arsenal fan and I was actually watching this game. So obviously Arsenal played Sheffield United and then the next one was was Spurs United. So I was watching this game with three United fans. Um, and I previously, the last time I watched this game was, sorry, the previous time I watched with these fans was when they lost to Crystal Palace. And I was, you know, at the end of the game, I was saying like, I, I can't believe how bad United were. And yeah, obviously Martial's red shouldn't have stood and... Maybe the scoreline was, again, a bit of a freakish sort of incident. But yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's not so shocking. Um, it should be shocking, but it's not. And you look at how Man United have performed, really. You know, they were, they were pretty terrible against Crystal Palace, mitigating circumstances, you know, missed the first sort of round of games because of their Europa League involvement. Players not fit, not ready. Brighton... You know, they could have lost, you know, they were lucky to win that, but they, you know, I mean, Brighton they could have conceded six against Brighton. I, I mean, very you know, and so if you look at these trends, then maybe you're saying, well, maybe it's not surprising, like you say. And I think, you know, the way the way that the United heads went down after Martial's red card was was the most telling sort of indicator that this team has has major issues and it's yeah. not going to be fixed by transfers. You know, you're signing Alex Tellers and, and Edison Cavani yeah, they're decent signings. That's not going to fix the issues. It's it's sort of a long-standing issue, which, you know, Solskjaer has showed he is able to sort of mitigate at certain times. But, you know, there, there's some, as we all know, and we talk about for, or have done for a long time now, you know, there's a lot of issues at United which sort of were exemplified and, and sort of, yeah. Yeah, well, plain, come, on, plain to see. come on to that now. I mean, there's a couple of... Interesting things you picked up on there. I mean, for a start, it's easy to look at Marshall's red card, possibly as a turning point or as a bad decision. But regardless of that, Spurs are playing United off the park anyway. You know, the score was still only 2-1 at that point. It could have been 4 or 5 already. Yeah, and, and look, the, you know... Sorry? Yeah. No, those, there were three chances literally just before that, that red card, which I thought, you know, United are, are lucky right now. And so, obviously... It, it sort of accelerated the, the capitulation. But as you say, they were getting torn apart already. Yeah. And I mean, as well, you know, is bring it back to today. Um, obviously, transfer deadline today. When this goes out tomorrow, um, as it will be, Tuesday lunchtime, obviously the transfer window will have closed. Um, but, you know, I think United's kind of organisation of like they're of in the transfer window, you know, it's, it's all a knock-on effect of everything else like it's just kind of a vicious cycle like you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer he seems to have completely lost his mojo it's mm. looks like it's rubbing off on the players like mm. 
just lacking so much creativity. Obviously, Marshall, you would never expect him to to uh, be involved in an incident as silly as that. Um, I mean, what, yeah, you look at the um, the transfer window and the transfers. How big an effect do you think, not necessarily the lack of players that have come in, but just the, the manner in which it's kind of been handled and it's just all absolute chaos? I think, you know, and it's obvious now, and I think, you know, Solskjaer, in a way, is perhaps... You know, he he can sort of accept. He's not going to throw the throw the toys out of the pram like Mourinho did eventually. I think you know he's he's a Man United person. He's not going to sort of in any way try and 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 put the club as a whole in a in a sort of neg paint paint them in a negative light. But I think you know the way in which United are known to conduct themselves in the transfer window and the way they go about their business and. You know the, the the pressure that comes with with Manchester United. You know, it's it's almost like they don't quite the, the people at the top. I mean, obviously it goes all the way back to the Glazers, but then Ed Woodward, they don't quite know, you know, or don't or don't show that they quite understand exactly the extent of which Man United are a massive club yeah, and what I mean, fans expect for them and the glo- like the football community expect from them and to see them sort of scrambling around towards the end of the window, you know, having not had the results initially. It just adds to, like you say, that vicious cycle of malaise. And when is when is someone going to come in and, and help this club or fix it? In the same way that Bruno Fernandes did. And don't get me wrong, he's been exceptional since he's come in. But does that sort of paper over the cracks? You have a sort of initial bounce, which is what Solskjaer had at the beginning. You can see these patterns emerging. Where's the foundations off the pitch that can sort of, you know, let Manchester United be the, the club on the pitch to have the success that they, they sort of deserve and, and fans should, should expect from them. I mean, the point has to be made, which, is, as I say, as a, as a Manchester United fan, just something that really frustrates me. And as I think any footballing person, I think something that any footballing person would maybe struggle to get their heads around as well. But before yesterday, when United eventually had a breakthrough with Alex Tellers and Porto decided they would accept a lower offer rather than losing one of three, uh, United were £5 million short of Porto's initial valuation. They were £10 million short of Sancho's, of Dortmund's valuation for Sancho and would not go any higher. They would not go within £10 million. But they're about to shell out £10 million to Edinson Cavani's agent mm. for a transfer that they didn't even want to make until yesterday. Like, there just seems to be, it just seems to be devoid of all logic. You could spend an extra £10 million to secure the Sancho signing in mid-July, start of August, get that business out of the way. Or you can give £10 million to an agent for his role in a free transfer for a player that's been declined, turned down by almost every single top club in Europe. It's just, I don't understand the logic of it at all. It's no. so frustrating. I, you know, and I can try and, I don't know, I, 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 I completely see where you're coming from. But I think back to the whole Bruno Fernandes saga, and it was a saga, you know, they, they could have signed him last summer for, a, for a, you know, a heftier fee and then sort of ended up getting a reasonably good deal, you know, excluding add-ons or for, you know, any criteria he meets but perhaps it's Manchester United's 